0: Welcome to the Focus Today podcast with Perry Atkinson.
1: Well, welcome to Focus Today. I'm your host, Perry Atkinson. Always a delight and an honor. Just a great thing when we get to sit down and talk to Todd Friel, the host of Wretched TV. He's a defender of the faith. He's a frontline warrior. Uh, He's a hard worker. Uh, He's a legend. Um, He heads up Wretched TV, radio, and a bunch of other television programs that are wonderful. And he uh, obviously married up, and his wife just got married. Good to see him today. And guess what, folks? We have to take up an offering because he can't afford a razor.
0: See, I knew it. I was gonna I was pretending to have covid or something and this is an act of kindness so you wouldn't catch it from me cuz you know this is very effective in keeping the spread of germs contained because I knew as soon as you saw my laziness you'd bust my chops and perhaps rightly so frankly. Well, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out you kind of look like a bandit. <laughs> You
1: know what? what? We need to get to a Western hat. You could do a movie.
0: Actually, you know what I look like, Perry? Huh. I look like a Christian man. Yeah, it's, there not a, it's not a huge group online, but there's actually a group of fellows who think that a man must wear a beard because that is a sign of masculinity. It is something that women cannot do. And this is a perpetual reminder that we can do something women can't or something like that. So that's... That's what I'm doing. I'm making sure my woman understands that I'm the man in charge around here. <laughs> well, please, let me ask please, you this. Perry, do not let her see this. Whatever you do, do not post this online. If she sees this, I am a dead man. Well, have you gone home lately? <laughs> <laughs> you know... <laughs> this is this is kind of an interesting marriage thing. This is this is an example of what marriage really should look like. Well, actually, what it shouldn't look like. You've got a preference on something. Your spouse has a different preference. Who gives in? And the answer should be both. If both parties are saying, whatever, dear, let's go to the restaurant you prefer, I am fine with that. And if both parties are doing that, there should be some harmony. So here's what we got in our house. I'm doing this on just a summertime sort of affair. Mrs. Freel ain't a big fan. That means it won't be with us for long.
1: <laughs> okay, I get it. I get it. Uh, this is your Gita John leggy. Wayne attempt, right?
0: I'm trying to be a tough guy.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, knock yourself out. <laughs>
0: Tough room. Tough
1: room. <laughs> hey, uh, this subject today, I'm <clears throat> okay, um, What we want to deal with dualism. Now, I don't know where this came from, if it comes from Calvinism, Armenianism, Reformationism, and any other ism. Where does dualism come into the picture?
0: Well, historically, philosophically, it comes to us courtesy of Greece, particularly the ancient philosophers trying to sort reality Plato concluded there are realms. Basically, you've got the realm of faith or belief, even morality, that's a realm. On the other hand, you've got physical. You've you've got reality. And these two really don't go together. So you can go visit your faith, your religion, but that really is not a part of reality. And unfortunately, Perry, whether knowingly or not, far too many evangelical Christians find themselves living as practical dualists because their faith is over here, the rest of my life is over there, and they can't quite figure out, how do I bring the two together? There's an innate sense, mm. my Christian faith shouldn't be visited on occasion, it's not an app, it should be an operating system, so how do we bring it together, and, and Perry, honestly, There's a lot of maladies that plague a lot of evangelicals. I think this is one of the bigger ones a connecting of faith to the rest of their lives.
1: Okay, so this kind of echoes what I'm getting from uh, Dr. Barna when I have him on the program, uh, because, uh, you know, he's been doing a lot of research lately, and one of them is that in America, in the American church, uh, it used to be 6% had a biblical worldview. That is now four percent. Oh. Okay, so now we can we can take off on that. But the point being is that this may be a product of dualism.
0: Well, to those to those Christians who feel <laughs> like something is off that 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 Christ is not as much a part of their life as he should be. Uh, those those are the those are the ones that I think we can actually help. Those who have separated their worldview because they don't want to apply the Bible to morality or to decision making. That's a category of people. But the folks I think that are most desirous to get this sorted and figure it out are those genuine Christians. They love the Lord. They go to church, they hear they should read their Bible, so they try to do that but it just feels like i just i just go there on occasion it's it's seriously it's like it's like an app okay i'm going to open my christian app all right i'm done with that so i shut down my christian app and now i open up the weather app i open up the work app i open up the family app the entertainment app And Christianity seems to be left behind. And we know there's something off with that because there is something off with that. But I do think there's actually a helpful solution to that that is perhaps a little bit different than historically what we've seen. This is this is certainly not a unique observation by me or George Barna. This goes back to the early church fathers, the Egyptian desert fathers. They tried to get people to always be experiencing the presence of God. So they came up with a contemplative system and that happens to be alive and well these days. People like Richard Foster, I think even Christian yoga, you empty your brain. And you just feel the presence of God. Well, that's a method that they claim would be helpful in bringing your life and your faith together. I reject that because Christianity is not a mystical faith. It is a cognitive faith. We don't empty our brains. We're to fill our brains. You have got another system throughout the Middle Ages from the Roman Catholic Church that said, okay, you really want to be spiritual. You got to go live in a cloister or a monastery and just think about God all day, even while you're scrubbing the floors. All right, We're supposed to be in the world, not of the world. So separating ourselves from the world so that we can just think that we're constantly communing with God is not a biblical response these days. We have some people who would say you've got to be a radical Christian. You've got to do something really radical, like sell your stuff and go to Bombay and preach the gospel out of a cardboard box on the streets. Um, Well, that might be a calling for some, but that isn't the normative calling for most Christians. Even in the first century church, we do not see that as being normative. Being a radical Christian, Christianity is radical in and of itself. A man who doesn't look at porn, that's radical. A woman who loves her children, stays home, raises them up, that's radical. You don't have to go do something kooky to be a radical Christian. So I reject all of those efforts to try to help people bridge their dualistic philosophy. I think there's a better way to help people get that they are constantly, whether aware of it or not, they are constantly participating in God's work. Okay. That I think is the most helpful solution. <clears throat> okay,
1: we're gonna we're gonna work our way to that. But you you said something early on that kind of sparked me, uh, and that is <clears throat> the first sign of dualism that you sense something is missing.
0: Right. Yeah, you kind of, it's like, uh, isn't there more? Okay, so um,
1: that is, to me, a healthy sign that needs to be capitalized on. So from
0: there, where would you take that person? Oh, I, I would, this person, incidentally, most likely has a fair amount of theological knowledge. I probably wouldn't be able to share anything hidden or cryptic inside of the Bible that causes somebody to go, oh, now I get it but instead it is simply explaining why God has done what God has done and what He's doing and what He's going to do. We know that God sent His Son to die for sinners. Okay, why? Why did He do this? And the answer is, out of His overflowing love, He sent His Son to save sinners so that we could be forgiven, ushered into a right relationship with Him, and He would be glorified forever for saving sinners. All right, that's the purpose, not just of the Christian faith, that's the purpose of the universe, that all things, all realms, all systems Everything is pointing toward that singular goal, and that is to bring God glory through the redemptive work of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that means everything you do, Christian, is contributing to that in one way or another. You're just not aware of it right now. And as you become more aware that God is involved in every single thing you're doing, even sinning, to accomplish one purpose, all of a sudden the lights start to come on. Hey, That's my purpose in life. That's my reason for existing, to get onto the same playbook that God has written that is a very specific script. We aren't the stars of the show. Jesus is. Now live your life in light of that truth. And I would say, stop trying to live the Christian life. Live your life as a Christian. Live your life, do what you do, always being mindful that, hey, God is using me. Even as I sit here in traffic, He is bringing glory to Himself. Even as I'm doing the dishes, He's bringing glory to Himself. That gives your life color and purpose and meaning, and it removes the mundane, and it helps you get out of bed in the morning because you realize, whoa, I'm getting to participate in God's cosmic drama. I think that's a start.
1: That's pretty exciting. Um, so in the meantime, um, Christianity is under attack in the culture. It doesn't seem to be the thing. So for a person who wants, who feels this this missing part, um, goes to work and gets beat up for even thinking to be a Christian, where do we find this... <laughs> Where do we find this oasis so we can kind of fill our tank up?
0: Well, let let me actually just use your scenario as an example of how this actually works. I might be begging your question, nevertheless. You're going to work. How does that bring glory to God? Oh, yeah, he's a working God. I'm made in His image. So when I work, I'm acting like God. Boom, you get persecuted at work. You really find yourself in hot water. How does that contribute to the glory of God? Read 1 Peter 1 through 5, the whole book, but specifically chapter two, that your response to people who persecute you then gives you an opportunity, 315, to tell them about the hope that lies within you. So even persecution at work is contributing to the glory of God. Now that means when you're driving home with a pink slip, you can look at it and go, wow, I participated in God's cosmic drama today because I know He's good, I know He's faithful, I know He's able, and I know He's sovereign, therefore, what happened to me today was not without cause, it was not without purpose, it actually contributed to glorifying the Son of God, then you can rest in that.
1: Um, Let me ask you one other question along these lines uh, before I take a break, and that is, where does relative truth come into the equation?
0: Well, what do you mean, relative truth? You know what I've learned lately, Perry? I just had a, a phone call with a brother. Uh, I love him. He loves me. We're a pretty happy family. And we, we thought maybe we had a difference of opinion on something, but because we were actually talking rather than internet blogging away, we could hear the tone and we could ask follow-up questions. And I kept asking him and he kept asking me, well, what do you mean by that? What is What is the meaning of that word? Perry, just as an aside, these days, if you want to stay out of a lot of contentious conversations, a lot of times you can find harmony by simply asking, what what is your definition of that? So, Perry, what do you mean by relative truth?
1: Okay, I see what you're saying. Uh, I guess what I mean by that is that today, uh, part of this problem of emptiness is that people have inserted what they want to believe. It's kind of like, can you really hear God? When you already have determined what you want him to say.
0: <laughs> it's funny how I can hear the voice of God sing from my song sheet, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Lord, should I buy this fancy sports car? I think he just said yes. Yeah, we've we got to be fully submissive to the Bible. And, and by the way, if you're a young person and you happen to be watching at this early hour... This is going to be a key to the rest of your life. If you want success, if you want to get ahead of your peers, start submitting. You go, oh, I hate that. I know it's because the world tells you to hate that. The Internet, social media tells you don't submit to your stupid parents. I'm telling you, the life of the Christian is a life of submission. We start by submitting to God. Then we submit to authorities. We submit to our bosses. We submit to the government. We submit to our spouses. Children submit to parents and we all submit to the authority of the Word of God. And that means it's not malleable. You can't bend it like Gumby. We have to submit and do what it says. And if you're young and you learn the art of submission today, I'm telling you, you'll be light years ahead of your peers tomorrow. Good stuff.
1: All right, let me take a quick break. Uh... Uh, Professor uh, uh, Todd Friel is with us today. And uh, you can go to wretched.org. That's his website. Of course, you see his program here on the Dove Television Network. Check out his books. And I just figured out the issue with his beard. I got the solution coming up when we come back.
0: We'll be back to this week's interview in just a few seconds. In the meantime, we want to let you know that you can watch this interview plus many more exclusive interviews that happen this week on the Dove's daily TV and radio show by visiting our website, thedove.us. And while you're there, sign up for our free daily devotional, The Word for You Today. Three months of daily readings that will connect you with God's Word. Now, back to the show.
1: to have our our buddy Todd Friel with us, host of Wretched TV, and you see his program throughout the Dove Television Network, and of course we air some of the other programs that his ministry produces, which is just amazing, uh, on counseling and other things, and uh, the road trip the truth. I mean, uh, just one of the warriors out there on the front line bringing us uh, great apologetics. You can go to wretched.org is the website, wretched.org. All right, now, I figured it out, um, Todd, I've been looking at you.
0: Hold on. Before you give this unsolicited advice, if I'm a warrior, this is exactly right. What's your issue, Perry?
1: Okay. Well, I've been looking at you now for about 19 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) No easy (laughs) feat. And I'm trying to figure this out. And I I have figured it out. I'm going to give you a little piece of advice, maybe a little bit of a challenge. Okay. I think you Shame. ought to remove all of it except the mustache.
0: Oh no way! Yes, you got then the. Ma- going to look like a bank robber from 1784. You you
1: have the makings of handlebars there. It makes you your so? face. It makes your face look slender. It makes you look authoritative. It makes you look official.
0: So I would. No, if, it makes I, me look like a creepy stalker. There's none, nobody who can pull off a mustache.
1: You can. You can't. I've been watching you now for 19 and a half, almost 20 minutes now. You've got the makings, brother. Go for it. (laughs) Welcome to Facial Hair Tips. Okay. I want to come back to this subject. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to ask this question. Um, The balance between uh, theological academics and the Mm. transcendence of God. In the life of the person who's fighting duality. So you got theology, which sometimes can get tied up into heavy academics, but it also deals with the cognitive. And then there's this portion over here of the transcendence, where there really is some kind of spiritual interaction between the person and God. How do you balance those, coach?
0: You know what, this, sorry, cliche alert, get ready. The longest eight inches is from your head to your heart. It's a cliche, but it's true. And for some of us, we have to be careful. We need to recognize that every individual tends to be drawn to particular fields. Some folks, they just dig architecture. Somebody find, discovers sewing, and it's like, oh, I just can't get enough of They just dig it. Well, there are some of us who just dig theology, We love the Bible. We love the minutiae. And that can be well and good. But if that knowledge does not move down to change our affections, our will, and our directions, then we are not doing it rightly. We cannot simply amass a lot of knowledge. And Perry, we've seen this in conservative circles. There has been a good correction that sermons that go from, hey, so like Indiana Jones, right? When he's like riding down into that tunnel. Well, isn't that what it's like to live in the 21st century? Okay. It's like, uh, there's just nothing there. And so Now we've started didactically expositing the scriptures, a lot of information, and that is good, but information that does not move or stir or sanctify, it's ultimately worthless. We have to discipline ourselves, and Pastor, you could help us a lot with this. Please keep bringing the teaching. Please, please keep dividing the word of truth artfully and carefully, but move it. Make make sure that we see the reason for it. So when you say something as casual as Jesus died for sinners, okay, hold on. Help us understand what miserable sinners we are, so that we can appreciate what an amazing Savior He is. Jesus, He died for sinners, not for good people, for rotten, scummy pornographers who are hateful and horrible. He took all your vile, unrighteous, pornographic filth, and he owned it as his own, that you could be seen as righteous. That's your Savior. That's your God. That's the one who says to you, come, follow me. Pastor, we need that kind of preaching from you. We we don't need mere facts. We need application. Now, let's not fall into the ditch of mere application, but application is a part of good preaching. And if you're not a preacher and you're wondering, well, how does this apply to me? Then you can do this reading your Bible. Rather than going through your Bible and reading it and checking off the number of chapters you've committed to reading every day, slow your roll and ask the text some questions. What does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about His Son? Mm, What does this teach me about me? What does this teach me about the love of God? Why is this in there? and you think on these things so that you can grow, yes, in your knowledge, but also in your love for the Lord. Because remember, Perry, this is going to sound wacky. We've talked about this before. Jesus didn't die to merely save sinners. Jesus died to save sinners so that, it's a henna clause, so that we can be brought into a right relationship with God that we might know the height, the depth, the breadth, the width, everything about the love of God, that we can experience the love of God. That's what our Bible reading needs to do. That's what our preaching needs to do. Because if we don't apply, lift up Jesus, show him as awesome as he is, so that we see what a wonderful Savior we have, then then Perry, we're just not doing it right. And we're going to be some theological brainiacs, but we ain't going to look much like Jesus Christ.
1: Okay, so you kind of underscored my thought. Um, And and that is somewhere in that discourse, you have to allow for the transcendence of God. Somewhere in there, you got to allow for the supernatural transcendence of God to get a hold of people. It's one thing to understand it, but it's another thing to experience it.
0: Mm -hmm. It it is, and we want to be careful, of course. There needs to be some bumpers on that. But here's what happens so often, Perry. We see abuses, so we avoid it. So we see, for instance, these lovey-dovey, ooey-gooey preachers. God is love, and He loves you, and He's cuckoo cuckoo crazy about you, and you're so amazing, He can't help but love you, and He just longs to be with you. And we hear that, and we responsively say, and then we never talk about the love of God. We can't do that. Similarly, when it comes to, if you will, experiencing God, we can go off the rails with that, too. I'm hearing him speak. It's a mystical buzzy feeling. No, yeah. that's that's not biblical either. But to reject that God actually this is crazy. He desires to know you. When God forgives sinners, he doesn't do it like he's just mustering up enough compassion. Fine. I forgive. He delights in forgiving sinners, he rejoices as sinners repent and put their trust in him. He rejoices over that. I know this verse in Zechariah gets abused, too. <coughs> he sings over his people. Whoa. Why don't you want to spend time with that God? Why mm. wouldn't you want to talk to that God? Read his word to understand that God and spend time just experiencing cognitively through your brain that we worship a God who is love. Beautiful. Um,
1: okay, so back to the dualism, the, 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 the tug of war. I mean, you know, Paul talked about this in uh, Romans 7. You know, he said, uh, when I want to do good, evil's present. I end up doing the things I don't want to do, and the things I don't want to do, I don't do. I mean, he had this struggle going on. Um, it's pretty common, isn't it?
0: Oh, yeah, it should be. There, there should be a battle inside. We want to do more. We want to do better, but we don't. That tension, that's always going to be a part of the Christian walk. The The, the bullseye that, that I'd like to aim at, though, is why do you feel that tug? Why don't you want to sin? Why didn't Paul want to sin? When you read through Romans 7, the good that I would, that I don't do, and you feel him going, yeah, and then he exclaims, Uh, he's asking a rhetorical question, who's going to save me from this body of death? And then his answer, praise be to God, for his son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. He asked the question, who's going to save me? The answer to his question is Jesus Christ. And that is the knowledge then that sets you on fire to not sin. And if you don't have that love burning inside of you because you're constantly kindling it, you're not going to fight sin the way that you should. All right. uh, What's new for you? What else going on at Wretched. Finishing up, actually I'm working on two books, Perry. I'm working on a book on this subject, and I'm also, which is not an easy book, by the way. This has been a tough one. I'm also working on a book called Play the Man. It is designed to be a helpful call to men to stop being weak, to stop being passive, and play the man when it comes to the battle with pornography. So working on those two books
1: okay uh, let me say to our viewers and listeners go to wretched.org that's his website and always uh, oh, good to see our buddy when he gives us a few moments here he's pretty busy a lot of resources there by the way and check out his programming and write him a note tell him to keep up the Wyatt Earp look I think he needs to hold on to that uh, get rid of the bottom half keep the top half and um, and pray for uh, Mrs. Friel <laughs> I need a hug <laughs> I'll give it you guys.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's Focus Today podcast. Remember, you can visit our website to check out all the interviews we did this week on our daily Focus Today TV show at the Dove.us. And if you like this podcast, please take a moment to rate us and share it with your friends.